2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Blizzard Watch Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Rossmy. With his... Matt Rossmy. Matt Rossmy. I'm <laughs> Matt Rosmy. I don't know my own name. That's the show, everybody. It's been a great week. See you next week. No, uh, we're still going to do the show, even though I don't know who I am, Matt Rossmy. That guy sounds like a wonder- winner. Let's keep him. Uh, with me this week is my co-host. Let's hope I get his name right. Joe Perez. I did it! Woo! Got it in one. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, uh, hi Joe. Hello. <laughs> uh, it's Mister Rosmey. I'm sure you, you and I will get along fine. Uh, just going to move straight into it. Uh, something relatively big happened last week in Blizzard, so we're going to move straight to top stories. Um, so, yeah, uh, Activision had a subsidiary company; it was a, a studio. It was a, you know one of one of many that Activision has named Vicarious Visions, but they don't anymore because last week they announced that they were merging it with blizzard and it was going to be dedicated to working on projects for blizzard. And that's interesting for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons I mentioned when I wrote about it was that this means that blizzard finally has a blizzard North again. Yep. Because you know, vicarious visions is in Albany uh, relatively Northern in, in New York. It's a, south of where joe lives but it's fairly upstate it's
3: close enough that i could work there and still come home if i just if i decided to try to get a job there hmm. yeah
2: but one of the things that vicarious vision is known for is their most recent product the most recent thing game they shipped was a remaster of the original tony hawk games tony hawk one and two which were fantastic now, apparently people really like this remaster i yeah i spent a lot of time playing it it's fair, and, very very uh, good it was the last thing that they released um the reviews were extremely positive and then they suddenly got absorbed by Blizzard. I, I think I wrote in the email. I said it was like Kirby style. Like like Blizzard came along and glomped on them, like the way Kirby does, in, in you know various Kirby games, including Smash Brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it is, seems apt in that it's just you know one day you're um, the the head of Vicarious Visions. Uh, unfortunately, I can't remember her name um, off the top of my head, but she's now an executive vice president at Blizzard. Yes. Uh, she she now is is on their board and and they're part part and parcel of, the, of Blizzard, and Jason Shearer who uh, Jennifer O'Neill I think is her name. Okay, cool, thank you. Um, Jason Shearer wrote an a post an article about it, and uh, the point he made was that around the same time that Vicarious Visions was rumored to be working with Blizzard on something, Team One, who were the team that basically worked on a whole bunch of stuff, including say StarCraft remastered, StarCraft two. Uh, Heroes of the Storm and Warcraft 3 Reforged was very quietly being shipped out. And we we knew that that was happening to a degree because we knew about Heroes of the Storm, that they had stopped really developing Heroes of the Storm, that they'd, they'd dropped most of the people and they, they'd reduced it to kind of a maintenance state. They are still releasing things, but on a much slower release schedule than it used to be.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and as for StarCraft, they they stopped supporting StarCraft entirely in, in like I think, October of last year. Um, obviously, Heroes of the Storm and StarCraft, they've stopped development on those or slowed it down considerably. There's also the Warcraft 3 Reforged debacle where Blizzard basically gave people the impression they were getting a, a complete remake, and what they got was a, basically a reskin. Uh, and, and that's There's a lot of blame to go around on that one. I think a lot of people blame the executives for it, and I think probably rightly so to a degree. Um, but at any rate that studio has now effectively either been like people either like left for instance a lot of people left to go join Frost Giant Games uh a lot of the people behind StarCraft 2 mm. went over to to the new company to make RTS games uh some of them went over to Dream Dreamhaven the various the two studios that Dreamhaven has uh, so a lot of people left to go other places but and, and some people just still working at Blizzard just not on those projects anymore but apparently the 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 rumor that that sure is is believing in is that vicarious visions will be the ones doing that kind of thing in the future and that they're already working on diablo 2
3: yeah that that was rumored for a while ago it was
2: rumored before this was ever announced we wrote yeah. about it la- like early last year i think it was like march or even maybe as late as june but by june of last year we wrote a post about it uh, about vicarious visions working on a, on a diablo 2 remaster because it was just after the original Like bill roper basically said you know if they're doing a remaster i don't know how Because we lost all that stuff. We had to, like, to finish the game, we had to get lucky and find a a person who had the game at home on their home computer.
3: Funnily enough, I have an interview with Bill Roper where
2: he recounted that entire story. Yeah, so there's... There's been interest in it for a while, but but we've we've heard very little. We've heard nothing about it. And we don't, for that matter, we don't know for sure that that's what Vicarious Visions will be doing but at Blizzard. It, we it, it do know it's something that they do. I mean, the Tony Hawk remaster is just one of several. They do remasters and they do ports. Ports, yeah. Um, I think they ported the original Doom 3. They did. To, to Xbox. Um, I think it would have been right around the time the 360 was coming out. Yeah. Uh, it's like 2003, they ported Doom 3 to the Xbox. So they've they've got a lot of experience with... They did a ton of Game Boy Advance titles. Um, I think they did the complete. I want to say Crash Bandicoot. Uh, so I'm going to go and look some of this stuff up. But... Okay, so they've done a lot of stuff like that. So I think, honestly, it, them doing a Diablo 2 remaster, if such a game is being done, does feel like a slam dunk no-brainer. It absolutely does. But to me, I feel like... Blizzard has been trying to put games out on the Switch for a while. They put out, we, they put Diablo out on the Switch because you know that was they have already had Diablo on several other consoles, but they also put Overwatch out on the Switch. Mm-hmm. To mixed results. I don't think anybody decided that Overwatch was going to be the, the game of choice on the Switch. And part of the problem was, of course, that the past year, uh, the only game anybody was playing on the Switch was Animal Crossing uh, for a long time there, but. I, I feel like Vicarious Visions, with their expertise in both remasters and in ports, that's something Blizzard would like to do. Well, it makes it makes a whole lot of sense
3: too, because it's a it's a an important market, especially now with the PS5 releasing and the Xbox One Series X and the m- pretty much more than rumored. Uh, update to the Nintendo Switch that's on the horizon you want to be able to capture that market because that market is starting to bridge the gap between PC exclusivity and consoles especially with Microsoft really pushing crossplay between uh PCs and uh like the Xbox consoles themselves because mm-hmm.
2: I, yeah absolutely
3: like when you, I don't know if people have noticed, but one of the updates that have come out through Windows 10, if you have a Windows machine, is an Xbox app, and it's an Xbox app specifically to play your Xbox games from your Xbox on your PC. Uh, so, like, there is a market for that, and and vice versa. So- yeah, it's an
2: expansion of the thing that they did a while back, where you can play an Xbox game directly on your like iPad or yeah. tablet, and that that's pretty advanced right now. You can seriously play. A complete Xbox game on your tablet if you have a tablet that can handle
3: it. Yeah, and with other other things that are coming out, it's becoming it's becoming more common to to now stream from whatever device to whatever device. But going back to the original point, it's it's a huge market share that a lot of people who are maybe going to buy a PS five and an Xbox one or Xbox Series X aren't necessarily going to wanna to have like a high end gaming PC. There is some cross bleed, but I'm I'm just saying if they don't have an INPC, how are they going to play that Overwatch 2? Because don't forget, that's on the horizon still. That's still in development. Mm -hmm. That's a a game that's going to come out. Uh, Having a development team that specifically works on taking your code, your games, and does nothing but focus on the console release is a smart idea because that team can work solely on that and the other team can work solely on the the base game itself or whatever they're doing for the, the PC release. And you don't have to split time between development groups. And we just talked about this in the pre-show a little bit. When you have too many projects or too many things inside of a project, you get poor results. And like you said, overwatch on the switch, it wasn't exactly stellar. Uh, it, it was there. It functioned mostly. Um, yeah, but it's
2: frame, It's frame rates were bad, which is really not great for, not for
3: an FPS, not for a competitive FPS.
2: Yeah. And the, the internet connection didn't work as well as they'd hoped either. Right. Um I believe that, that, that uh, the Switch has gotten better at that sort of thing. Um, I feel like they've done good work with, say, Animal Crossing, which has a lot of internet connectivity. Oh, yeah. But but one of the things I was thinking about, too, is while this is all true, and I absolutely feel you on the concept of, of a dedicated port team, like that's, and they also do remasters, and they're a dedicated yes. remaster team is also good to have. Yes. But think about what just happened with Diablo and Morgue. I gotta think, one of the things Blizzard is thinking is, we don't wanna to have to rely on net ease if we oh, wanna yeah. do mobile Oh yeah. If we wanna do mobile games, you know look at if you look at the structure of Activision, there's like multiple subsidiaries. The the three big ones are Activision, Blizzard, and King. And King is financially bigger than Blizzard. And King is basically just the Candy Crush people. Yep. And that's it. And that's all it has to be to be bigger than Blizzard financially. Think about that market. And Blizzard, we, with with Immortal, we have seen Blizzard wants to get into the mobile space. It wants to have mobile and, games.
3: Yeah, imagine them. Imagine them going through and making a uh, Battle Pets mobile game, or you know, doing anything with any of their IPs on a mobile game. We've seen that there's a market for real time strategy games in the mobile space. I mean, some people laughed at it and made jokes about it, but the Command & Conquer mobile game, it exists, and it did well. There's a reason it did well. There's actually a market for that stuff. And phones are getting way more powerful than they were even three years ago, four years ago. I mean, ago. yeah,
2: I, I don't like the game, but Rage Shadow Legends proves that people are willing to play games that never before existed on mobile in mm-hmm. in the mobile space. They're willing to play RPGs. They're willing to play, uh, you know, RTSs. And I think not just porting current projects although I absolutely think there's there's room to port current stuff onto the the mobile sphere but having a studio that could do mobile stuff for you. Oh yeah. Like you know and and this could. I mean they've got it maybe it's not mobile phone stuff but they they worked on multiple GBA titles. Uh they definitely have the people there and they could, you know, it's having a team to do that kind of thing would absolutely be in something Blizzard would have to do. Um on the other hand, however, a lot of the problems with the games that they did release, for instance, Warcraft 3 Reforged, that's definitely attributable to, to like, pressure to get it out fast and to deliver more and and talk it up in a way that didn't jibe with what they were actually trying to do. Now
3: imagine, now imagine going back to that project and having—I'm not saying this is ever going to happen, but I'm just saying imagine having resources that you could actually dedicate— to making a remaster that is actually a re- that you can say takes one of your beloved titles and says, yeah, we really effed this up. This was bad. Let's make it good. Going back to something we talked about during the pre-show as well. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, maybe consider it. So- or show up early to the game, One or the other. Charlie. Sorry. Shameless self-plug. Uh, but if you have resources to actually start giving those things attention and make them good, why wouldn't you like,
2: yeah, there's definitely room for that to be something that they do. I believe that
3: it's, it's ripe with potential. And I really enjoy that. I like the fact that this, this, this merger feels like it has good potential. This is very similar to like, not to to compare another behemoth to another behemoth, but like Bethesda getting bought up by Microsoft, like coming in house. There's a chance Mm -hmm. that that's going to fix some problems that may existed before. So I don't know. I'm excited about this. Like this news is. I'm really curious what Vicarious Visions is going to start working.
2: Yeah, it it is to me very much uh, a position of. It depends on what we get announced at BlizzCon.
3: Yeah, because there's definitely. Uh, I feel there's going to be something.
2: Oh yeah, we're we're, people keep forgetting. I think at this point it's because it's so unusual to have it when they're going to have it. BlizzCon online is in less than a month. Mm -hmm. I believe it's February 19th, Um, and then the 20th as well. I think it continues. Uh, And as a result of that. We're right now, we're in a position where if in an ordinary year, we would have gotten announcements for what Blizzard is doing next last November, and we didn't. And they've been sitting on whatever they're working on next because they've you know, they've switched to a home footing. But they put Shadowlands out at a home footing. And while Shadowlands was not absolutely flawless as a launch, it was a really good launch. And the game was relatively, the bugs were not anywhere near as disruptive as I'm going to use the example of a game I'm playing, uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which had some significant bugs that, that you know, uh, and they, they similar problem. They, worked from, they switched to a work from home thing and, you know, that kind of stuff. It is not easy to do. You are not in the office. You can't just walk across the hall and talk to the guy who's doing the thing that your thing is, is interacting with to figure out, oh, why isn't this working? You have to call him up you have to like you know get a meeting together on zoom or whatever whatever your company's using i don't know and that might be discord for all i know but you you need to like get that together there's lots of challenges to the to the working from home and blizzard pulled it off really well for shadowlands mm-hmm. uh, they worked under you know they they did push it back but they got it out on time and well not on time but for their second release projection they got it out and not particularly buggy it, it, it ran pretty well uh bugs were there and they've been fixed and there are still some but you know it, it for a game that was released at home they did a really good job and i'm wondering what they've shifted to i mean obviously one of the things we're going to hear about at blizzcon is going to be what's coming next in <laughs> in shadowlands that's that's just a no-brainer we're going to hear that but what else are we going to hear we know that they're they've they've moved diablo immortal to testing yep we know that they're working on diablo 4 We know they're working on Overwatch Two. If there's a Diablo two remaster in the works from Vicarious Visions or the former Vicarious Vision, then we're almost certainly going to hear about it at BlizzCon this year. Yeah, there's I can't imagine them not telling us about it at that point.
3: Yeah. I mean between that and whatever unannounced project they're working on, like
2: Yeah, that's also an interesting thing. That there are there's in we've heard that they are working on something else. Just
3: go to you just go to their website, go to careers. They're actively recruiting for unannounced project.
2: So I don't I feel like this this move definitely feels like it's Blizzard setting itself up to to start pushing into new into new places where they have not been or they've only been taking small steps in. Um, I definitely think the console market and the mobile market are markets that Blizzard wants to get in and Vicarious Visions is a good pick to help them get there. What's interesting to me is that very rarely does does this kind of thing happen inside of a publisher like it's it's rare that like Activision Blizzard would take one of its studios and merge it with another like this. Um, yeah, I but
3: I mean, at the same point, the last time it happening. At the same point, it was rare when uh, Activision let go of Bungie too.
2: Yeah, but Activision didn't own Bungie. Bungie would, had made a deal with them, but Bungie was not a wholly owned subsidiary. Sure. Um, whereas Vicarious Vision, they bought Vicarious Visions before. They merged to become Activision. It's really fascinating, too. We do have other things to talk about, so I do want to move on (laughs) to some of them. Vicarious Visions was founded in 1990. Blizzard, as Silicon and Synapse, wasn't founded until 1991. And Vicarious Visions was bought by Activision before it merged with Blizzard in 2005. Yeah. So they've owned it for like 16 years. And it's been, you know, it's been they've been, you know, tooling around releasing games. They didn't get the kind of reputation Blizzard has, but they've been steadily putting stuff out ever since. Like they've they've been up there in Albany putting games out, doing remasters, doing ports. They did. Uh, I think one of the games that I, I found out they did that I didn't know they did. They did a port of of Jedi Knight Two: Jedi Outcast. And I was like, what? Wow. Okay. So yeah, been out for a long time. This is really an interesting move, and what will come of it, I don't know. I would be really surprised if we see another partnership with a company like NetEase again. Yeah, and I,
3: I, I think it's like I think you hit the nail on the head, too. It's, it's also, it's giving them the opportunity to be in full control again, because we don't know what was going on in the background because we heard about Diablo Immortal and then a whole lot of nothing for a very, very long time. Was that yeah. because of Blizzard? Was it because of Activision? Was that because of Nettie? We, yeah, don't know. we don't
2: know. We know that Nettie said back in 2019, oh yeah, we finished it. But did they? Yeah.
3: You know what I mean? They, like,
2: they said on an earnings call, you don't, especially in China, you do not lie on your earnings calls. <laughs> um, that is a bad move. Uh, when you're, when you're on an earnings call and you say, yes, we have finished the game and we have delivered it to Blizzard. And then nothing for a year before Blizzard made their big, this is the current state of Diablo Immortal post back in summer. And everyone's like, oh, okay. I guess they are still working on it. Um, we don't know what the deal was. It, it could have been just, you know, stuff got in the way. They could have had other projects. They could have been working on Diablo 4. I have no idea. Um, I can't even speculate on what happened. But I, there was a delay. It feels like they're finally moving now. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely feel like that Blizzard is the kind of company that would like to have that kind of thing in house. And by by putting the the head of of Vicarious Visions in as an executive VP, you're saying, you know, this person is important to the future of our company. They're not just – this isn't just the studio now gets absorbed and will service us. They're saying these people are important to the future of our company. They're important to the direction we want to go. So I think that's pretty – important. but that's – it's probably enough about that. It's it's big news, but we've probably talked about it a fair amount. Probably,
3: a, I think, more than we maybe necessarily needed to. So, yeah, we should probably move
2: on. I'm going to talk briefly about this next thing, but I don't think it's that important. So I'm just going to throw it out there, and you guys can think about it yourself. We, we, there was a post online uh, last week. Uh, Wowhead did a thing where they rounded up the most popular tanks in Mythic. And uh, once you get above Mythic 10 or higher... I'm sorry, I have to cough, so we're going to give me a second here. Throat very dry. Sorry. One second.
3: It's that whole when you have to talk for a living, folks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, my apologies. The The post they made basically pointed out that the starting off, the most popular tank in Mythics, all Mythics in ta- can included, is actually retro- it's a uh, protection paladins. Yeah. <clears throat> with uh, with uh, Vengeance d- Demon Hunters, the, the next most popular.
3: That was actually surprising. To me.
2: But once you get to 10 or above, it's all Vengeance Demon Hunters. It's they are the rest drop off to ridiculous extents like like protection warriors are the least popular at like 11% across all levels of mythics. Once you get to 10 it drops to like 5% and once you get up to mythic 15 or higher it starts becoming just I think of the top 20 uh, the the top 20 mythic plus groups the the, the ones with the best uh, times 17 are vengeance demon hunters. Two are, I think, two are monks and so one's a druid. See, I'm always curious about this stuff. And again, we don't have to talk too
3: much about it, but like I often think about this and I've had talks about this with like my guild a lot. It's how much of this is driven by actual numbers and how much of this is player perception driving grouping. And the only reason I bring this up is because like I have what I call the Resto Shaman curse. I'm not a bad healer, I'm pretty dang good. I know what I'm doing. I still can't get a pug group above a plus four to take me, despite my gear level and skill. And it's because there's this purveying uh, perception that Wrestle shamans suck. And so I'm wondering if any of that plays into some of the, this type of distribution as well. It,
2: I'm positive it does. It does absolutely. It always has. In World of Warcraft, player perception does often affect the the composition of groups. But when you're at that level, the level of the 20 best groups in the world, it doesn't. Or more, more accurately, they make the perception. The groups that are at this level, the groups that are pushing 15s, 20s, and higher, they're the ones who create the opinion that everybody has that Vengeance Demon Hunters are the best. And the reason that they're bringing Vengeance Demon Hunters is that Vengeance Demon Hunters have something that works even if you're under-geared for the content you're pushing. Because keep in mind, these groups are pushing those keystones f- as fast as they can. They're not waiting to get geared up. They're jumping into them as soon as they can get there. As soon as they have gear that's even remotely within the realm of possibility, they are pushing that content. So it's sort of a feedback loop where there is a reason that the Vengeance Demon Hunter is the most popular tank. Uh, And that reason is that they have abilities that work really well for the, the the mythic dungeons that they are running with the affixes they are hitting. Um, I think one of the things that the points that was made is that the Vengeance Demon Hunters are exceptionally mobile. Oh yeah. No mobility is king right now. And not only are they exceptionally mobile, they have decent enough damage and decent enough cooldowns that they can become extremely tanky when they can't get away. They can they can tank enough they can take enough damage long enough to get their cooldowns back and then get away and kite again. And they can do enough damage to actually hold threat while running around like a lunatic. There's in order for that to change, the, the the necessary makeup of the comp would have to change. But I do think you're absolutely right that there is perceptions at work, especially when you start looking at the broader group of what, what gets into all Mythics. Because, for, you know, yes, people doing Mythic 20s are, are, are min-maxing everything. People doing Mythic 3s are not. Like Joe just said, he had a hard time getting a pug above a 5 because people think that, that Shaman aren't any good. Those people don't really need the best possible healer in order for that to work they're just they're doing it because they've seen other people do it mm-hmm. that's how it that comes out to but uh at this point we should probably move on to do those some emails um if you don't mind joe the, actually this week i'll be up front this week we didn't get any emails this is all from discord if you have a question for us you can go to our discord uh, we have two channels uh the Patreon q and podcast questions channel which we used for this episode of the show and the q questions channel which is for not for patreon support it's for non-patreon supporters Um, We like to go with Patreon supporters first because they support the site and keep us able to do the show. Uh, If you don't
3: mind reading them for us, Joe? Not at all. Uh, First one comes from our good friend Bruce. Hello, Bruce. Hey, Matt and Joe. Matt's got me in a meta question frame of mind. Uh, I'm thinking this is a lore watch fodder, but it could work for Blizzard Watch, too. Well, we know how this one worked out because Matt got to the question first. Uh, Blizzard comes to you and says, we'd like to have less of that series binging feeling in WoW. What do you change, and what feeling do you head for? That's a interesting question.
2: I mean, I don't dislike the series binging feeling. I think it works pretty well for WoW, to be completely honest. But if I was trying to go with something, I'd probably try to go for something that felt more like... Um, Star Trek. For, since it is such a big thing... Uh, I'm sorry, you, Did I? do you want to say
3: something? I was going to say, like I, I thought you were going to say like episodic content like Star Trek Online.
2: No, um, I think that the binging thing is episodic. Uh, I think it feels mm-hmm. very much an episode. Um, I would actually say something more along the lines of the MCU, which has got an episodic feel to it, but it's it's very much like this self-contained thing will leave – it will have it. Will have connections to the next thing, but it won't necessarily one-for-one one follow it. Um, that might be a way to go. Because the thing is, this MMOs – MMOs, in a way, pioneered the the, the, the streaming content landscape.
0: Yeah, they kind of did. Before
2: it was a thing. Before we knew that that's how we were going to consume all media, MMOs were already that kind of thing. But uh, one really decent example to look at the kind of thing you could go for is to actually go back and look at WoW Classic. Because okay. WoW, before it got its first expansion, WoW was a game that every patch delivered something new and distinct. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't in a way, WoW, up until 2007, had several expansions, and each of those expansions was a self-contained patch. So you went from Molten Core and Anyxia at launch to Blackwing Lair, which then uh, now it's the top of the, the exact same mountain, but it's a new raid, new stuff. Uh, then you had you know, Ankurage, mm-hmm. and you had Zulgarub come out, and, and just each of these things was different and distinct, but they were still part of World of Warcraft. And you could you could do that with your expansions. Um, I think that Battle for Azeroth actually kinda tried to, where you started off and the first raid of the expansion was Uldir. The second thing was that Dazar'a lore and Crystal of Storms thing, which which connected to the Greater Plot, but were very distinct. They weren't much like what Uldir was like at all. And then Ashara's Eternal Palace definitely came hard upon them, but it also felt very distinct. And finally Nyalotha again very distinct so that's you could try to recreate that feel if you really wanted to make it different
3: yeah i i keep going back to some of uh some older mmos in and how they did story art and it, it's a very superhero-y type thing so you're gonna have your city of heroes you're gonna have your champions online and dc universe online uh where they did things in a story arc so you had almost like a set season where a particular storyline played out. Uh, And then the next one would go, and it didn't necessarily have to be tied into the previous one. It could be a completely different thing, taking place in a completely different section of whatever, dealing with completely different storylines and NPCs and and things like that. And I kind of like how that works. WoW does have a very bingey feel, but I already think that they're starting to take steps away from that. I think if you look at the way that leveling works now, that's a good indicator of some shifting, at least looking at that as well. You brought up the uh, battle for Azeroth and how everything was was almost segmented. It was very much that seasony type feel. Like you had your uh, season of you know Aldier, you had your season of uh, raiding the Temple City, you had your season of going into the Eternal Palace and then going to Ny'alotha, and they felt very distinct. And some people, yeah,
2: I think uh, certainly to a degree. There's an element of, for lack of a better word, I can't really think of exactly how to put it, but there's a degree of like, like the the, um, the way that True Detective worked, or the way that you know Doctor Who works, where you know each series is its own thing, while at the same time it's still the same show.
3: Yeah, it's part of a greater whole, but it's still it's, it can still stand alone, right? Like. I, I think that's part of what's been missing from at least in my opinion, wow to a certain degree. and I would I personally would like to see a little bit more of that. And it do, do, again, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, you abandon everything that's been going on or, or what what's currently in process. but I don't know. I, I think maybe that the, the battle for Azeroth model wasn't a bad idea. And I think that the way they're doing leveling is not a bad idea, and we might even start seeing shades of it. We talked about this on Lore Watch, but the way that the Covenant campaign starts and ends, it has a very seasony vibe to it. And we talked about seeing maybe a second part, uh, a Covenant campaign part two, uh, or whatever the case is, and they could easily do that and have more story and more progression and. Uh, more events that feel unique or feel self-contained inside of that moment, uh, and give it that seasony f- sort of story arc feel, and I'd be completely okay with it. I, I think it's something that would
2: they do well with. I don't know anything else to add to that. I think it pretty much answers it. I will say that I definitely think that Legion and the War Campaign from Battle for Azeroth both moved in that direction due to the way that they had the extended campaign stories.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So I think I do feel we're heading in that kind of direction.
3: Yeah, and I think there could be a balance between the two. Uh, our next question comes from 6K with a question for whatever. Uh, everyone always talks about their most favorite or least favorite expansions, but what is the most average expansion? What is the expansion that is truly the most neutral in your hearts, the one that has accomplished nothing and at the same time promised so little? <laughs> I don't know. What's, what's your medium rare expansion?
2: I mean, Warlords ended up being not as great as I wanted it to be. Like it had an incredible opening act, the the leveling experience, but then didn't really deliver on the end game I wanted, and so felt in the end it felt like it became neutral by by being a wash at the end. If we're talking the expansion that I that I got the least from, but expected the least from, it's it's Wrath of the Lich King. Really? Uh, yeah. I I am the guy who who liked Burning Crusade a lot more than Wrath of the Lich King. Um, I didn't. I mean. I can't really say I didn't raid as much in Wrath. I raided more in Wrath. And Wrath had Titan's Grip, which, I mean, if you look at the stream, I'm, there's my warrior holding two giant axes. Uh, I like Titan's Grip. But in general, I felt like Wrath was the expansion that ever that traded on nostalgia to an unhealthy degree. Burning Crusade definitely had its nostalgic moments in that the main villain was Illidan and we were going to Outland. But we knew nothing about Outland. And everything we found out was new and different and weird. Yeah. Whereas Wrath had, like, there were places in Wrath we knew nothing about, so there was new stuff. But it really definitely felt like, hey, you liked Warcraft 3, here's more of that. And I never felt, up until the end, when I started to grasp what Arthas was doing, I never felt particularly connected to Arthas. And then suddenly I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting. Right around the time that everybody else decided they were sick of it. I was finally engaged because I saw, I saw the, the, the classical paradigm of his character shift and thought it was really interesting because I'm, I'm a total nerd. Uh, but a lot of people were like, yeah, I'm done with this. Um, plus, a lot of the stuff that was good about Wrath, and there was a lot of stuff that was good about Wrath. There was a ton of, of really good dungeon and raid content. Um, but it was kind of the, the, the way that they executed it with the, with the multiple hard modes and difficulty levels. You ended up with a gear, like, we used to talk about, like, the, the gear climb, or the gear escalator, or, you know, the way that gear, you know, would, would get out of hand. Wrath was the first time it got super out of hand by the middle of the expansion. We weren't even in, I think we were still doing a Trial of the Crusader, and I realized that the item levels had Oh, yeah, no,
3: Trial, Trial of the Crusaders was just crazy when it came to gear. like yeah.
2: Because you had 10-man... 10-man heroic, which was the same gear level as 25-man normal, and then 25-man twenty five heroic. And 10, 10 heroic and 25-normal and sharing gear meant that you almost had to run both of them. Yep. And that meant that you were running that dungeon, you were running that raid a lot in a week I, um, I was running
3: that raid four times a week twice when twice in the 25 and then twice in the 10 in a 10 man group
2: wasn't doing anything with 10 man normal because there was no reason to the gear wasn't wasn't that but much ten man
3: heroic gear.
2: yeah we were absolutely running 10 we would run 10 heroic and 25 normal at the, we had to run 10 normal once to unlock 25 to 10 heroic i think yes uh and then we did that we we just would just chain three people through it to get gear to, in case they weren't getting it from the 25 man, and then even as we were running the 25 man heroic, we were still running the other two because there was still gear for slots. Like everybody needed trinkets, everybody needed rings. There was always like something you needed. Uh, so yeah, I, I remember. And then when Ice Crown came out, and Ice Crown had the four difficulty levels, and there was <coughs> there was no hard there was no hard mode as such. There was nothing you could do to really make it harder. You just kicked up the difficulty of the whole thing, and I remember running that like into the ground, and then they put out Ruby Sanctum at around the same time, and Ruby Sanctum had equivalent gear to like twenty five man, and it was just like, oh my god do we, we're just the gear I remember like when they put out the the five mans just around the same time ice crown came out, and the ice the five mans had gear on on par with or slightly better than old War twenty five and the trinkets were so good. That your raid geared fully 25 man heroic raid geared characters were running those five mans for the trinkets for the armor pen trinket, and that was the first time it was like, oh god, gear is out of control. It's just nuts. <coughs> and I've never forgiven Wrath for that. Wrath, in my opinion, the gear escalation in Wrath made Wrath much worse, in my opinion. So it it doesn't. I don't hate Wrath. I don't think Wrath was bad. But the stuff I didn't like about it, I didn't like so much that it neutralizes all the stuff I did like, like Alduar or Shadowmoor or, you know, for, for, for a lot of people, Valinier. There's a lot of good stuff in that expansion, but there was also a lot of bad stuff in that expansion, and it ends up being like, it's it becomes gray to me. For me, it's Cataclysm. And it's one of those ones where I know a lot
3: of people feel very strongly about it. Uh, a lot of people say they love it. I was very lukewarm. And from the the only thing that I the, the I'm not saying that it was bad, but I don't think it was as good as everybody remembers either. Uh it tried to do a lot, and it tried to do a lot in some very weird ways that just to me didn't quite go all the way. Uh I mean you had what? Uh the Shattering, then Rise of the Zandalari. then you had Firelands, then you had the Hour of Twilight. Uh the raid was like defeating Deathwing felt oddly unfulfilling. Like I remember going through it and like, oh, this is going to be great! It's a giant kaiju fight, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna go and do this. And and it just didn't. It never hit that high for me. It was just like a level of of weird, incongruous bits that somehow still tied together in weird ways. And the story never quite went all the way where I wanted it to. Uh, again, cool things, cool ideas, and I think definitely necessary. Like as far as re. Uh, doing the entire world and and trying to make the game something more than it was because don't forget this was what 2010 when Cataclysm released they were trying to clean yep. up, they were trying to clean up code game had been out for six years a game that was originally only expected to be out for a year and a half to two years at most uh, it was it was just weird it didn't it wasn't great for me but it wasn't terrible it was definitely not the worst expansion for me it was just lukewarm like middle of the road I, I
2: liked Cataclysm better than Wrath because Prot Warriors were better in Wrath. Uh, I mean, better than in Wrath, and also they got rid of armor pen, so I was happier. <laughs> armor pen was just so horrible. Uh, oh my god, it, it ruined it ruined the game. Like people, they had to pull armor pen out because it it turned melee DPS into how much armor pen can you stack? Can you get enough armor pen so that you just you start ruining their armor to the point where you do even you do colossal multiplicative amounts of damage because because you've got literally so much armor pen that you've gotten beyond 100%, and now it's just magnifying it by an incredible amount. Um, But I don't disagree with anything you're saying about Cataclysm. I think that the focus on the revamp meant that the the endgame stuff felt weird and rushed and not cohesive because there was no actual cohesion between any of the endgame stuff. The cohesive tissue was found in the 1-60 to stuff, which at the time, the game was, like like, I think it was 85 was max level at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And you weren't doing that, you know. You you weren't go. You know, if you were a max level character, you didn't go back and level to like through all the leveling content to see the storyline stuff that connected all the the max level stuff. Why would you do that? And so it felt weird and and bizarre. Like a lot of stuff you needed to know about was happening in the Worgen starting zone and then in Silverpine. So if you were level, like you you level a, a Worgen to level fifteen, then you had to hop on your your orc or you're undead and go and level to like, you know, so in, in silver pine for like 10 levels. <clears throat> and then you'd start to understand what was actually happening. It's like, what this doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I think that for me, wrath was the the real one for that, but I can see why you'd say cataclysm. There was definitely some, some stuff in that. I think that to a degree too. the big loss, the, the big, the problem with, with, with cataclysm was that we never got the death wing from the books.
3: No, we didn't.
2: We didn't get, Smarmy, clever, sinister thinking man's dragon, Deathwing. We, we got they go. We got a kaiju, like you said, which is fine. But you know, and, and when he, he
3: was, and when he wasn't a kaiju, even when he was in quote unquote human form, he was just nuts, like cartoon, comically cartoonishly
2: nuts. In a way that, like you know, he didn't plan. Like Deathwing from like the books planned. He was brilliant in the books. He schemes. He had schemes on schemes. You know, you should definitely get a sense from Deathwing that whatever he wants you to do, uh, you might end up doing it because you don't have a choice. But that's because that's the way kind of planner he is.
3: Mm-hmm. And we mm-hmm. didn't get that at all. No, and and yeah, it was just one of those weird things. But I don't know. I think we we should move on because I think we have just enough time for probably one more. For going us. for the
2: last one, then what's that? Last one, then because I want to talk about that one.
3: Uh, the Diablo one.
2: Yeah, yep. if we're gonna do only one more, that's the one I want.
3: All right. Uh, so this one comes from Davios or Davos. I'm not sure how to pronounce your name. Sorry. Uh, so Diablo 4, we have Lilith returning and the world is in bad shape. Sanctuary having fallen apart after the events of Reaper of Souls. Did the Nephilim return from defeating Malthiel, or did the Nephilim infusing themselves with death in order to stop him mean they were somehow trapped there or destroyed? Maybe Tyrael attacked them after his realization that someday the Nephilim might be tempted to turn on the angels. Any idea?
2: I mean, we don't know. Uh, clearly, we, they, we, they've, only, they've only dropped a little tiny hints. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I, I hadn't thought about this. Like, had, had you thought about this? Not really. I, I hadn't thought about this at all. Um, but that could, have be, that could be the case because I mean, it would make sense in a weird sort of way. Honestly, I kind of hate when I agree with people. So, <laughs> uh, let me, let me, let me try and to poke holes in this. <laughs> but I mean, seriously, like, we don't know. Like, where's Tyrael? We don't know. Like, what happened to the, you know, Tyrael was making his uh, new uh, horadrim, and now suddenly, like, they don't seem to be around, or if they are around, they're clearly not being led by him anymore, because one of them helped open up the door and let Tyrael, let Lilith back in. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting to think about like the fact that we don't know where Tyrael is, or what he's doing. We don't know where the Nephilim went. Uh, we don't hear anything from the angels. The angels apparently sealed up heaven, and, and haven't like they're not responding or dealing with sanctuary in any way, and it se- certainly seems at least that we know at least two of the of the original lesser evils have returned. Uh, with Duriel and Andariel are are back in Diablo Four, so yeah. I mean, maybe that's what happened. Maybe the reason that heaven is quiet is because the Nephilim went up there and and wrecked it up. Because uh, we maybe... did. <laughs> well, I don't. We we didn't like wreck. It. We 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 saved it, but yeah. Maybe they went back up after and and finally cleaned house and just destroyed all the angels. Maybe they're all dead.
3: Well, I mean don't it's an interesting concept because like go back and read some of the books if you haven't. Like I the angels
2: are not necessarily good guys. Good is not something the angels are about. Order is something...
3: Yeah, and there, there's a distinct difference between order and the concept of good, right? And we, we talk about this a lot on, on the other podcast, but like, the angels want things to be a very specific and strict way. The angels don't necessarily want the Nephilim to exist. That That is a point of conflict at several points. Uh, how long before the Nephilim really sit down and realize, look, we got to deal with the primeval, sure. We've dealt with them how many times? But that heaven, that heaven keeps coming down and messing with things, especially after the events of Diablo three, because like
2: yeah. Malfiel was definitely an angel and his forces were all also angels. And they yeah. were people in droves before they even tried to just kill all of us in one go. They tried to just kill literally everybody in sanctuary. So that could actually be where the Nephilim is. Maybe the Nephilim declared war on heaven and is like currently smashing their way through. You know, the angels are now stuck in a conflict with them and that's why they can't respond or, you know, the, the demons are free to make their move on sanctuary. Maybe it, that's why Lilith can come back. I don't know. I was going to say it would be an interesting
3: impetus, too, for Lilith coming back as well uh, and for what we suspect might have been her former mate in that cutscene scene uh, being torn alive by hooks and tortured to madness. Oh, yes. Yeah, there, there could be a reason that. That now is the timing for it, and it might actually tie back to that. Because if you need somebody who knows how to mess with angels, why not bring back Lilith? Why not say, hey, hey, mom, they're mean to us. We want to go and get our ball back. They won't give it back to us after it went over the fence. And yeah, she could she could easily help with that. And With her own agenda, of course, because it's Lilith, and if she doesn't have her own agenda, what are they doing?
2: original agenda was literally to create the Nephilim so that they could win the eternal conflict. Yeah,
3: but now this is a good chance to win the eternal conflict, isn't it, if that's the case? Uh, I mean, and also having a former angel that's now tortured and was freely given to the demons uh, in order to be tortured in hell. Uh, Yeah, I could see opening that door, bringing her back, being... Uh, part of the Nephilim's trick to to say, hey, this conflict is starting to tear our world apart and we're done. We've had enough. I, I that would be interesting. To, I don't know. Yeah. I mean we got a couple minutes left. Anything else you want to add to that one?
2: Uh, I mean it is it's certainly possible. It doesn't have to be the only thing that happened. It it is also possible that, you know, Teriel and then and then Nephilim decided we gotta make sure that Sanctuary stays inviolate. Maybe they did something and sealed it off. Maybe it's not that you know the high heavens are sealed. Maybe it's sanctuary is sealed, and that's maybe that's that very thing that they did that sealed it, that allowed uh, Lilith to get out because there's nobody can interfere to stop it. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I really don't know. I mean, the Sin War books definitely indicate that, that Lilith, like, Lilith has plans and schemes in motion for the Nephilim. So maybe we'll see those guys again. Maybe, uh, although you know uh, Uli Quildrumad, there he he wiped himself out of existence. So I don't think we'll see him again. But we might see his brother. Remember his brother was the one that actually founded the the priesthood of Rothma. It was Mendelm who founded them, not not Rothma himself. Mm-hmm. Rothma did not found the, the the necromancers. It was Mendelm. So maybe we'll see Mendelm. Maybe we'll see Tragul. Maybe we'll finally learn what the the you know Dragon of the Balance is all about. That would be kind of cool uh, to finally get an answer to what that thing is. Yeah, because I mean again we have all these we have all these holes in the Diablo
3: lore. I well, I guess I shouldn't say holes. We have all these items that would be very good points to have more information or more story about that Diablo 4 could be the perfect opportunity to actually start unraveling some of those mystery, especially because like Diablo 3 opened up a lot of those doorways for us. Right. Like it it laid bare a lot of the the quote unquote lies, the quote unquote uh, veil over what the actual conflict was and and sanctuary's involvement into it. Uh, how the angels work. even like looking at Tyrael, Tyrael had a lot, had a rude awakening during Diablo three. Like that, that was one of the, the key story points. So like, yeah, this, we're getting into interesting territory to see what's waiting for us there. And they could do a lot of really cool stuff. Uh, like you said, with Tragul, with the dragon of balance with all of that. Yeah. I'd love to see more of that. Maybe, maybe we get to see more of Mendelm. Maybe we get to see more of the Sin War stuff actually start to uh, have bearing because that's one of the things. Like those books existed for a very long time, and really, we didn't see a lot of in-game impact from it. So maybe it's time. Maybe we start to see more about the human-made churches. Maybe we get to start to see more about the human-made concepts of religion that don't necessarily revolve around the heavens. Uh, maybe we see a new Haradrim. There's a lot of cool stuff they could do. Uh, but Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your
2: question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Thank you very much, Joe. Again, guys, if you have a question, you can either go to our Discord server to our Patreon Q&Podcast questions channel or our Q Questions channel, and you can ask them there. If you're a patron, you probably want to use the Patreon channel because we look at it first, uh, and that's one of the things you get for being a patron. So if you want to sign up, our Patreon's always open. Uh, Look for that. Uh, We just mentioned it. Also, uh, if you've got an email you want to send in, you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com, subject line podcast of Blizzard Watch, so we know it's for this show. Uh, thank you guys so much for being here with us this has been the blizzard watch podcast and we'll be here next week